I think it's important to really walk them through every of the deal. Explain to them, some of them might not understand how an IRR works. You have to explain to them what an IRR is. Explain to them exactly what the strategy is and why you like this particular strategy for value add. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. We are back with Peter Richter. Welcome back, Peter. Thank you, Whitney. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, honored to have you for a few segments here as we dive into a very important piece of the syndication business, right? And some would argue more important, right? Our investors are so important. They do so much as far as driving our business, right? And we need them to trust us. And we want to represent you know, them well to everybody else in our business. But we also want uh, just to represent our team well to our investors and that they're communicated with well. It's so important. We're going to dive into even more of that today. Peter, we've talked about how many times we should communicate. We've talked about so even going back to the first segment, COVID, and how you all up the communications. I, I love that. Even you know hitting the the important things you know instead of sending out a bunch of fluff as well right then also today you know we're going to jump even more into that communication that quarterly report that you all send out maybe even uh, the communication on a deal maybe a specific deal I mean what is included let's jump in there and whichever you feel is best to start with whether it's the the quarterly communication and how you all do that or or a specific deal let's dive into some of those communications sure well let's go chronologically um, I think that the first major formal communication is the offering deal right? The presentation. And that's where extremely important to take the financial projections and turn them into a narrative. And you have to understand the sophistication of your investor base too. My communications are much different with our institutional investors than they are with our individual investors. The institutional investors don't want the communication to be flowery at all. They want numbers and that's it really. And they do their own underwriting. They do their own market research. Individual investors, which I think is the really the target audience of the show, people starting syndications for retail investors, I think it's important to really walk them through every of the deal. Explain to them, some of them might not understand how an IRR works. You have to explain to them what an IRR is. Explain to them exactly what the strategy is and why you like this particular strategy for value add. Why are you going to be able to get a premium because you're putting in new washer dryers? How do you know you're going to be able to get that premium? You know, we've done our market research. Units of the same size are getting X dollars more per square foot with washer and dryers. Again, if you can present it all on a spreadsheet, but projects the financial projections on a spreadsheet. But unless you're able to effectively translate that into a narrative, it'll be difficult to really gain the interest of your investor base. And of course, people love maps of the areas, pictures of the post-reno spec of the asset itself. We often have investors ask if they're in the area, if they can go visit a property. And people like to know that they're investing in a real asset that actually exists um, that isn't just on paper. So show some pictures, I think, of the amenity spaces, of the unit interiors, of the leasing office, of the landscaping, and really let them remind them that they are investing in a real asset that exists. That's really what differs from buying a stock or you know some piece of paper that's floating around in an account somewhere. These are, these are real assets and it's important to communicate that. You must translate the spreadsheet into a narrative. Uh, I like that thought and being able to do that is true. Many people are going to look at that spreadsheet you know, that are more experienced or maybe they've invested in lots of deals and maybe even your team, right? You can look at that. You've talked about it enough. You understand what's going on. But that, that retail investor, maybe they, this is their first investment into a syndication or maybe they've done one or two, but they look at that and they're confused, right? And if an investor is 
confused, typically their answer is no, right? You know, they don't move forward. So who owns that as far as, you know, even that narrative and building that out and ensuring that I assume it's investor relations team, right? But how do you all figure that out as you go through that process? I know you are meeting twice a week, like we talked about uh, during the last segment, but maybe walk through even creating that investor deck, you know, translating that spreadsheet well. What's that process? That process is really owned by the investor relations team. You need people who are strong writers, who can effectively communicate. I hate to get too granular here, but if you have sentences in your presentation that don't really have any substance to them, enough of those will lose interest of an investor. You should really think of each sentence. What's the purpose of this sentence? What are we doing here? Is it repetitive? Is it redundant? If it is, get it out of there. You know, I saw a presentation recently from another firm and they had a section on there that said transaction highlights. And within the transaction highlights, they talked about the market, you know, strong job market because some big employer had moved to the area. And I think that's a great example of what not to do. Transaction highlights should be transaction highlights. What is the debt looking like on this property? What are you paying for the property per door, per square foot? I think it's important to really be focused. And if you're not focused, you're going to be all over the place with that communication. So transaction highlights, those should be the asset summary, summary of the assets, market summary, what's going on in the market. I think that creating a communication of the deck is great and also have some summary pages at a glance. Because again, some investors will want to read every single word of your deck, every single word of your correspondence. Others want to see a table, cash on cash return, IRR, length of investment. So I think it's important to have both options available. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Have an at-a-glance segment. I like that a lot because we definitely have that as too. Some investors are like, which page of the deck do I need to go to to see this, right? You know, even though th- there's a there's a table of contents, right, as well, they could probably figure that out. But still, they don't want to have to look through the entire thing. There's some specific things that are important to them. And we want to make it as easy as possible, right? Okay, so you've sent that email out to investors. Walk through, uh, you know, are you all calling them as well at that time? And I'd love to dive into even the capital raise process a little bit with you, but I, I want to focused on the communications, uh, you know, on this segment, we're kind of exhausting this as much as we can. But anything else on the email or the communications about a specific deal that we should know about? Or, hey, you know, as an operator, you need to be including these things as well. How are you doing that? Sure. I think the offering communication is three parts. Your presentation deck, financial underwriting, and the email itself. And the email itself is where you really talk through the deal. It's a lot of text, but it has to be done. Why do you like it? What's the strategy? That might be sometimes redundant from what's in the deck, but I think that's okay. Also, I love including a table, a return table that shows cash on cash return. You know, Like we mentioned, at a glance, they can see it. So you send that out to investors and then you're really, now you're beginning the capital raise process. You know, I think it's great depending on how many people are on your team to either use a Google Sheet or some way to track the equity commitment. Do you all use Google, like a Google form or do you have a CRM that can do it? So we have a investor management software called IMS, which uh, we're very happy with, but we still do use Google Sheets just because it's real time. Everybody has access to it. But yeah, I, I also, depending on the size of your company, I highly suggest getting some type of investor relations management platform. Juniper Square is a great option. IMS is another. I think there's a few others out there. But uh, it really 
functions as a CRM, as it creates a portal for them to log into. Yeah, I'll give a shout out to Invest Next. They're a group that we've used for a number of years now. I really like as well, but agree. Could not recommend having something like that. Having that secure portal just kind of helps you to be at another level, right, of operator for your investors. Absolutely. Yeah. And then again, being able to log into a portal makes you a lot less transactional. Like, oh, I'm giving you money for a distribution more. I'm investing in assets that I can view anytime. I think having a portal is a great tool. So send out that original communication and then you'll start getting the responses. And it's important to track who's responding. Sometimes our portal actually will track who's opened the email. So if somebody hasn't opened the email, maybe that warrants a phone call. I tend to shy away from fundraising phone calls. And I'll tell you why. We all sit around and we get those spam likely phone calls on our phone dozens of times per day. And I almost feel like a phone call to raise capital, depending on your relationship with the investor, could be somewhat of an invasion of privacy in a way. I don't want to say invasion of privacy, but a disturbance. The beauty of emails, they can read it on their time. Late at night and they're watching TV, they can open up the offering and take a glance at it. But a phone call is just not part of my strategy. Some people might do it unless you really have a relationship with somebody where that phone call isn't a burden. If they're just an investor and you don't have a personal relationship with them, I would think about maybe withholding the phone call from the fundraising process. Again, it's really important to track. Once you track everybody's initial, we call them like a soft commit. People say, okay, I'm interested at 50,000. I'm interested at 250,000, whatever it is. You track all that. Then within that original communication, you have a commitment deadline. And then once that commitment deadline is reached, then you send out the partnership documents. And that includes your PPM, your partnership agreement, which sometimes is a uh, exhibit to the PPM depending, and your subscription agreement. Then they give them a few days to review that. You never want to send out those documents and then expect them to be executed the next day. People don't like to be rushed. People want to take their time, especially, again, they're investing in some cases, a lot of their personal capital. You want to be understanding that that's a big commitment for a lot of people and give them time to read through the agreements and answer any questions they might have. And then I usually wait five to seven days later and then send out those same documents via DocuSign for execution. And then along with that, usually wire instructions and a funding deadline. No, that's incredible. Let's jump to that quarterly report a little bit as well. I want us to be able to talk about that before we get too low on time. It's so important we're communicating well. It's so important that our investors are up to date, which we've mentioned so many times and because it is so important. But I'd love to us to think through how you all create that report. Uh, you know, who all is involved in that, that communication as well, and maybe how you, ways you all have streamlined that process also. Okay, definitely. And, you know, as we mentioned in the previous segment about integrating all team members, the, we call it an asset summary report, but quarterly report, a lot of the heavy lifting is done by the asset management team. They are the ones who know exactly what's going on with the property. So they are heavily involved in that. They draft quite a bit of it. And the quarterly report, whatever you want to call it, really is the, your chance to update investors on what's going on. Kind of go into detail on any budget variances. There will inevitably be budget variances to pro forma. Things happen. Nobody's ever exactly on the dollar when, when they're sending out their original pro forma. So explaining what's caused those variances, positive and negative, um, I think it's, again, an opportunity. And what are we doing to correct the negative variances? Also, if it's a value add, you know, that's a lot of our business. So I keep mentioning value add. But if it's a value add strategy, how many units have you renovated? Um, what is the premium you're getting on those units? And hopefully that's a positive item to correspond and they're happy with the increase in rents. But um, how you execute the strategy and ultimately how is cash flow impacted? And also on those reports, I think it's important to have, again, similar to the original offering, some kind of summary page. 
a page that for the people who live very busy lives, they can look down one page and see what's going on with the property. And then for the rest of them, the rest of investors, if they want, they can delve deep into the details in the following pages. So have a summary section? Yes. Have some sort of summary section. Don't make it too wordy, something somebody can read in you know five minutes or under. And how is cash flow has to be mentioned. Because really, in the end, that's to a lot of investors, that's the most important metric is how is cash flow impacted, then and obviously distributions as well. We dis- distribute here at Interwest on a quarterly basis. So that is where we discuss distributions as well. Okay, that's great. So you talked about you know the asset management team plays a large role, right? In coming up with that content. Obviously they are in the project day to day. They can you know they know this stuff hopefully very well, right? What's happening with those properties and and what investors need to know. Is there some kind of template you all use even for them to say, hey, we want to make sure and hit these points. We know, you know, you all are talking to investors. So we know that, hey, X, Y, and Z are some of the most important things that investors want to know. Like you hear the questions every day from investors, right? As you're talking to them. Is there a template? Is there some way that you've, you've kind of sped that process up to, but, but also a way that you're for sure you're hitting those things? Absolutely. We have a template. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel every quarter. We use a template that we have. And we, again, there's one section of it, which is kind of the narrative of the property, which changes. But even that is structured in such a way, we touch on the same points each quarter. But again, there's a large variation in between properties. But we use a template, we put the same, you know, leasing stats in there, with the same occupancy stats in there quarter over quarter. Because as you grow, you really want to find as many opportunities to streamline your process, to make it efficient. We always say the processes will set you free. If you've got a good process, a lot of other time is freed up. I think quarterly reports is a great opportunity for you to try to build a standard process so you can turn them out quickly and efficiently. So you mentioned like the narrative of the property, maybe occupancy, the, you know, those things that you're going to mention. You know, we also talked about uh, distributions, uh, maybe having a, a summary or, you know, portion as we're section. Anything else that's like, man, we got this section that we know we must include every month that we haven't talked about. A variance report. I think a variance to pro forma, a variance to budget, we discussed in the last session. It's, it's your obligation to investors to tell them how, are we off course? Are we ahead of plans? Are we behind? And what are we doing to fix it? Or why are we ahead? What have we done? And again, if you're ahead, that's your opportunity. Kind of pat yourself on the back and say what you've done so successfully to get you ahead. But if you're behind, what are you doing to get back on track? Or is there a course correction? And if so, what is it? That really comes in the variance report. And that's a variance to pro forma, variance budget, whatever you want to call it. But again, that's believe that's one of your fundamental obligations to investors. Any thoughts? Uh, you know, we've talked about this a little bit as well, but just the communication during highs and lows, right? Uh, you know, and we talked about during COVID, you all sped that communication up to monthly, which I think is uh, was a great move during that time, right? When everybody's wondering what is happening, right? They need some answers and want to know. Uh, but any other examples during highs or lows? Are you reaching out other times throughout the quarter, even for some you know highs as well, not just lows? Absolutely. If there's a major breakthrough, it's something... Uh, for instance, we have a property in Phoenix. I think I mentioned it before, but we've, there's some major... Intel is building a multi-billion dollar investment in a chip factory in that area. That's news that investors want to hear. Um, that's a great opportunity. If there's some new development in the area, extension of a medical center nearby, if you're in an area with a large hospital, a big employer coming to the area, I would say absolutely send that out to investors. That's great stuff that they want to hear. You know, that kind of stuff, you know, brighten somebody's day. You know, that they invest in the property and all of a sudden uh, local employers adding 10,000 new jobs. 
What about, uh, you talked about earlier how somebody needs to be a strong rider on the investor relations team. Well, how strong of a rider? How much importance do you all put on that? Say, I say grammar versus substance. I, I've had other people ask me this and it may seem silly, but I know people are wondering, hey, maybe I'm not a great writer. Should I maybe write the report and then send it to some kind of writer or editor? You know, how much you know do you all put on that as importance? Well, I'll also say I never send out a correspondence that is of substance to multiple investors without having somebody else read it over. It doesn't matter who it is in your office. Send it to somebody and let them say any feedback is appreciated. You, you will be amazed at the small tweaks somebody else who's removed from the actual writing process and the valuable feedback they can give you. You can say, you can deliver a message in five sentences, but often that same message can be delivered in one well-written sentence. And I think we kind of, it's kind of been a theme, I think, of these the segment, but uh, you know, you don't want to lose your investors' attention, especially with offerings, but also in the quarterly reports, you really need to think about do you have to be a strong writer? No. You can be a very direct writer, but what you don't want to do is be an overly fluffy, ornate writer that loses the attention of their audience. I would say if, if you're not a strong writer, be direct. What about deadlines for other team members to get you this information? You know, as you as you know this is coming up, do you all have something in like Asana or Monday.com or some kind of task software where it's like everybody knows we need these things? That's funny. We actually just rolled out Monday.com a few weeks ago. Um, we are really enjoying it. You know, that's a great kind of uh, management tool. Yes, we have deadlines. When it comes to institutional investors, it is extremely important that you don't miss deadlines. It's almost sometimes more important that you don't miss deadline than the content of the correspondence. So yes, we have a process in-house that where information is relayed. And I, th- I think it's very important to set that up. It's a great point that you should have internal systems that whatever comes from asset management to investor relations or vice versa, there should be deadlines and uh, they should be... I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer in deadlines, but uh, some people are a little bit looser about it. Again, I, I think it goes back to your, you know, your professionalism. If you tell investors you're going to have a report and a distribution out 45 days after the quarter ends, it should be 45 days after the quarter, not 46. But again, some people might argue with me and say, oh, you know, no one really cares if it's day late. I think that that's what separates sometimes like a great operator from a middle of the path. Yeah, I agree. I know there's investors that like they'll email, we'll say it's going to come out on this day. Well, at 10 a.m., they might email us and say, hey, where's this at? Exactly. And you and you'd rather get ahead of that than uh, That's right. have to answer. It's another question you have to answer. Where is it at? That's right. We may have planned for it to come out at noon, but hey, they're already emailing and it, you know, it kind of looks like we get it out on time or you know, something like that. So what about videos? Have you all ever tried any kind of video update? We haven't. I know a lot of a lot of people have been very successful with them, but we have not. No. Are, do you guys use videos? We just started, but we're trying to do some video updates, uh, and so it's a whole another process that you know that has to be created, just the editing and all that stuff, and when they need to be done, and who does them. And but we've received some some good feedback as far as some investors really like them. Uh, you know, it allows that individual uh, on our team. It was a, our management company. You know, our head there who has that knowledge, right? We're on the asset management side. He can allow elaborate a little more loosely through conversation, even through video or recorded video versus typing it out, right? And so, you know, it allowed him to just provide some more color to a few specific things. So we're still testing that a little bit to see if that's hot for our investors or not. I want to jump to a few final questions, Peter. And uh, what's your all's best source for meeting new investors right now? So it's really an organic process. You know, we try to write some articles that get published in newsletters. We reach out to a lot of wealth managers. They've been a good source. Accounting firms are a good source who have accounting advisory firms. So how do you build that relationship with them so they're like referring investors to you all? Sure. And that's the secret sauce there. Um, but 
it's, you know, it's really presenting yourself to a RIA, a registered investment advisor, or wealth manager. You need to build credibility right off the bat. They will not refer you to their clients if you can't prove credibility. And we've done that here at Interwest Capital through getting a third-party accounting firm, basically audit our returns over the last, I think, almost 20 years now. And it was a laborious process, but we now can say, look, you have a third-party accounting firm confirming our return. That gives us credibility because a lot of those wealth managers or investment advisors or accounting firms, they have a fiduciary responsibility to their clients not to put them in a bad investment. And they don't have a lot to gain there, especially if they're not... Most of them won't take a fee. If they're a true fiduciary, they won't take a fee. So they don't have a lot to gain. So you got to think, what's your value proposition to them? Are you increasing their AUM? Which we, you are. And that's kind of what we say. We say look, offer your clients this alternative investments. And we believe that it's a great tool to increase your AUM. And that's usually what they bill off of. A lot of some of them will have you fill out a DDQ, a due diligence questionnaire. Those can range from being one page long, 40 pages long, and can really be in-depth documents that might want background check principles. Again, they're really just covering themselves and uh, crossing their T's and dying their eyes to make sure they're not putting their clients in a bad investment, which I wholeheartedly appreciate. Yeah, that's interesting. You brought up yeah, numerous things there. And uh, I'd love to dive into some of that even more. But you know, getting audited by a third-party accounting firm, I can see how that could even add some... Uh, you could bolster that right to investors and, and them just feel more comfortable, right? Knowing that you are at that level of detail and having that done. And, and maybe we can have you back and talk a little more about that. Having that done, then also how you communicate that to investors and maybe even a little more about the capital raise process. But speak to any daily habits that you have that have produced the highest return for you. My favorite part of my job is really digging into new investments and learning the story of them. And that produces incredible value because when you understand every aspect of a new investment and you can effectively communicate that to investors and they can ask you any question and you have the answer, it really increases the chances and investment size that they're willing to put in. Um, you know, an investor who's going to put in 100,000 has a couple questions, you answer them effectively, they might up their investment size to 150, 200. So I, I really think understanding the investment. And again, I, I've touched on this a few times, the responsibility we have to our investors. If we're presenting a deal and we're suggesting that they should invest in it, you should know every aspect of it. It's kind of your obligation. Otherwise, I think that's ex- extremely important. And it's your responsibility to know every... And I love it. I love learning about new deals, about new properties, new markets here at Interwest. We don't have an in-house management company, so we actually can look at almost any market in the country and we you know, we hire the best, you know, local operator, best in market operator. But because of that, I get to look at Chattanooga, Jacksonville, Houston, Austin, Vegas, Salt Lake City. I get to look at all these markets, might not have an infrastructure. And for me, I really enjoy that. I really love learning the the individual dynamics of each market. Peter, how do you like to give back? Right now, we are, and I've kind of spearheaded this with one of my other colleagues, we are doing a big ESG initiative where we are really focusing, especially here in the Southwest, of how to make our... our, We just rolled out a policy a few weeks ago called our Water First Policy and how to make our properties more drought resistant and lower our consumption of water. The environment frankly, Whitney, is probably the most important thing to me. I think that we got one shot at this and I don't know how well we're doing, but um, I think that it's all of our obligation to try to reduce our impact on the environment. And through our, you know, the E portion of ESG is our environmental impact. And it's something that really has stricken a chord with me. And we are working on a few dozen different initiatives that we approach every deal with. And these initiatives are given to our acquisitions team. And before... 
when they present a deal, they talk about market dynamics, they talk about our renovation strategy, but now they are also listing different environmental initiatives that we're going to roll out at each property. And to me, that's really important. Awesome. Peter, I'm grateful for just how you've given back so much time to us and the listeners uh, over the few segments that we've recorded. You know, we've gone into so much detail about investor communication. Uh, and it, it is so important. It's such an important part of our business and any any real estate investment business or any investment business, really, that we communicate well. And I'm just grateful for your time and laying all of that out. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you once again. Absolutely, Whitney. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Um, my name is Peter Richter. I'm Director of Investor Relations, Interwest Capital. You can reach me at Peter at interwestcapital.com. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day. 